Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. We've been in a series for the past few weeks called More or Less. And we started out with More or Less or More Present, Less Distant. Then we went to more kind, less critical. And last week we talked about being more selfless and less selfish. We're going to wrap up today with being more aware and less oblivious. Now we've all known people that were oblivious. We all know maybe people that are oblivious. And we have a tendency to nudge someone and say, don't you wish someone would talk to them about dot, dot, dot. But you don't want to engage in that conversation, that crucial conversation to help them become more aware because they might not appreciate it. And so as I come to preach to you today about being more aware, you might not appreciate it. Because I might be unaware. But when we talk about awareness or self-awareness, we're really talking about our identity. And the more we can know about ourselves, not being self-centered, but to realize how we interact with people and how people perceive us and how we perceive ourselves is really actually very important to our success for our, our, own, our own personal emotional health. It's so, so very important. And it really all goes back to the very, very beginning of who we are, who I am, and the question is, who am I? Who are you? And so I thought, as I'm thinking about the very beginning, and thinking about how wonderful it is outside, and how early we got up this morning, and I preached actually at 7.30 a.m. this morning, which is painful. <laughs> and everybody was, I think everybody pretty much stayed awake. And, and you do realize that time, time change like this has a health impact on all of us. It's not good for us. It's not good for emotional or mental health. It, that big change. You don't think it's much that hour, but it really does play out in our me mental and emotional health in a lot of different ways. But just imagine that you didn't live in Indiana, and I'm a Hoosier and I love living here. But, but you had to live in paradise. Let's say, let's call it Hawaii, okay? Tropical, beautiful beaches that you got up every morning. You saw this sunrise over an ocean, and it was just perfect weather. And, and you didn't have to worry about getting food because you could just get it off the trees or the plants. You had not a worry. It was... A perfect, perfect relationships, per perfect emotional makeup. And plus, God was fully present with you. 
That's the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Wouldn't that be? But was there the awareness there needed to be in the Garden of Eden? And I would submit to you today there was not. So if you'd like to check out my hypothesis, if you will, go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and we'll read it together. It says now, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden, in paradise? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, Adam was right beside her. Right beside her, guys. We can't blame anyone for what occurred because he was right there. It's in the Bible. Verse 7. And then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They were in paradise. Everything was perfect. But they weren't aware of it. And so they blew it for us. No sandy beaches. No palm trees. No ocean breeze. It's a little cold outside. I just want to make sure that the door is not propped open up in the foyer. It's a chill. Isn't it? And so we work through our relationships and we suffer from our sin and its consequences all because Adam and Eve were unaware and oblivious of the choice that they were making. They wanted to be gods, but they already were as godlike as they ever would be. They were oblivious to all that. Now, Joe Losey, Dave, Dave did a great communion meditation today, and I really, really appreciate that. Joe Losey was a Jesus man. If you knew him, now he believed in the Trinity, but he was a Jesus man. Jesus paid it all. Jesus died for you. We'd have talks about this, Joe and I, and we didn't always agree about it. We said, you know, you got, Jesus is it, Chris. And I said, well... Joe, there's more than just Jesus. There's God who is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they're one, Joe. And we'd have discussions like that. But what I appreciated was he was passionate, and he inspired me. But he got this right. Jesus is the perfect role model of being more aware and less oblivious. Jesus was self-aware. And he said, well, that's not fair, Chris, because Jesus was God. And I'd have to admit, yes, he was. It's not fair. Have you ever felt like you were oblivious to what was going on around you? 
And if you're not, guess what? You're oblivious now. Because we've all been there, haven't we? Mark chapter 2 verse 8 says this. And I don't know what translation you use, but it says in the ESV, it says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, because he had been speaking to them, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Basically, Jesus was saying, I am reading your mind. Now, Jesus had that capability, but we don't. Ladies, your husbands can't read your mind. Men, she can't read your mind. Friends, you can't read their minds. We have to communicate in an understanding way. And that's the challenge of the fall. Don't you wish you could read the minds of the people around you? <laughs> I don't know if that would be a blessing or a curse, but by your response, I know that you don't want to know. I told you this was going to be a challenge today. Did you know that we can learn to be more aware? I was in a, a cohort last week. We had, I had a, 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 from CJ's home church, that's a mega church, had invited me and some others. And so we got into this cohort, and being the person that I am, I started talking to these people. I said, I don't, I don't know this guy. Do you guys know this guy? No, I, we don't know him either. Well, how did you end up in this cohort? We don't know. I said, I don't know either. And, and so we started getting to know each other a little bit better. And so, so, so we all don't know why we're here. Yep, that's the way it went. And, and we were in this cohort, and, and the guy who was in charge wasn't a very take-charge guy. His personality didn't lend himself to that. He was very likable and very easygoing, and I really liked that about him. But before every session, we'd, we'd stop for about 10 minutes, and the music would just blare. And it was really annoying to me. I'm thinking, well, somebody's going to get up and turn that off so we can continue talking. And nobody did so you know what? The next time, you know what I did? I got up and turned it off. And I, and I apologize in this way. You know, I'm, I'm sort of direct, and, and, and it, it puts people off at times. But this is really bugging me, so I want to take care of this for you. And I did it. And then, Chris, I'm, I'm with a bunch of preachers now. I'm with a bunch of preachers. And since I said that, you know what that did? It just opened up the, the occasion for them to say, you know, and I also said, here's how I prefaced it. I said, I'm also working on emotional intelligence, so I know this, this may bother you, but I'm trying. And, and they basically looked at me and said, you're uh, a little old to be trying right now. <laughs> like, game over, give it up, buddy. It's done. I mean, seriously, this is what they said. I'm thinking, I don't like that very much. And I, then I, and I also thought... Guys, you're preachers. We're, we're in the hell. I mean, we're in the. We, we try to help people transform to the image of Christ. We, we're about being better. The, there's no way you should be telling me and discouraging me in this struggle that I have of not being direct to overcome and become more, more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And, and, and I all, and I, I get from all you all. Aww. 
right? Thank you. <laughs> they were feeling it too. But let me just say this about self-awareness, that it's a key predictor of success in relationships. The key predictor is self-awareness. Knowing how others perceive us, which I was nailing it in that moment. They didn't like my directness. They would have preferred for 10 minutes of loud music to go on where we couldn't talk to each other. That's what they were saying. I didn't care. Turn the music down, let's talk. Here, here's the deal. Self-awareness as self-knowledge leads to an awareness of how does my personality affect other people? How does me being me and you being you impact other people around us that we love and we care about? Our friends, our family, those we work with. So how do my predictable ways of acting, thinking, and feeling serve me or defeat me is the question. And then we go to how do I monitor and self-regulate the way that I act and think and feel in the moment so that I can move into the world with more emotional wisdom, kindness, love, thoughtfulness, and consciousness so that I'm not just on autopilot banging from guardrail to guardrail through people's lives and through our own life. Do you ever feel that way where you're banging this way and you're banging this way and you're trying to adjust? And, and so it's frustrating. Do you ever feel that way? I think you do. John Calvin said it this way, the great theologian, he said it this way, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Now, I'm not endorsing self-centeredness, obviously. I preached about being selfless. But this awareness of ourselves is so very important. And this is another Joe Losey thing. And I think this is why uh, Jesus was so important to him. We will never know how profound our need for grace is if I'm not aware, if we're not aware of our brokenness. I will never know my profound need for grace if I am not aware of my own brokenness. I think that we love Jesus so much is because we realize the grace of God because of our brokenness, our sinfulness, because we're forgiven that he gave us so much. And we've got to realize, folks, you and I, have parts in, of our lives that are work, working against God's redemptive plan. There are parts of you in your life that are working against God's plan of redemption. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. And you've got to ask yourself, why do I act and think and feel and relate to people the way that I do? And that's a challenge. And we've got to remember it all comes back to Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners saved by grace through faith. Praise God. So the question, how do we become more self-aware and what do we do? And, and the first thing we have to do is to overcome the denial that is, refusing to know what we know, what you know about yourself. We all know what we know about ourselves that we deny. 
Don't we? And that brings us to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Because we self-deceive. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. So who can understand it? What you're saying, Chris, is that I need to be self-aware, but there's a part of me that doesn't want to be self-aware and denies that because our heart is deceitful. And I'm saying, exactly. So how do we become more self-aware? And here's two ways. First of all is to live our whole lives developing self-awareness through experience and the help of people in your life. When your significant other, when your spouse, when your friend, when your coworker says, do you know, and it offends you and you become defensive, why does it offend you and you become defensive? Well, either that it's totally off or it's totally on. And we become defensive because they're talking about something that we know is true, but we don't like about ourselves. Or, shortcut number two is use personality test assessment as tools to develop self-awareness. Well, I got, I've got to tell you that from my background, from doing some work in counseling, I'm all about assessments. I've had every assessment. I've been counseled. I've been in group therapy. I've been coached. That's just part of my makeup. And there are personality assessments, each one of these, and there's more than you could ever name, and most of them are free on the Internet. And we're going to talk about one today that I think has helped me and might help you. If, you want, if you're interested, great. If you're not, great. But here's some assessments you know, maybe you're familiar with Tim LaHaye's temperament test. Maybe you're familiar with the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Test. Maybe you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, and I could go on and on and on. But I want to look at the Enneagram today because a few years ago I was in a workshop, and a friend of mine said, hey, you need to take this. And it was the Enneagram. I said, well, why? He said, well, it'll give you some insight and self-awareness. Now, you know, from my counseling background, I'm thinking to myself, you know, my friend is uh, concerned about me and he's got something to tell me and he doesn't have the guts to tell me about it and so he's going to have me take this test. And I just, <laughs> you know, that's what I thought. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this thing because he loves me and he cares about me and he's a brother in Christ. And, and what the Enneagram is, it comes from the 4th century. It's been around 1,800 years and, and it really stems from motivations about our sinful nature. You know, the seven deadly sins that we see in Proverbs. It really forms from there, and it checks our motivations, which are natural, but it also shows the good that can come. And, and there are all different types of personalities, and there are all kinds of blends and mixes. And I want you to realize this, that the Enneagram that I want to talk about today, or any assessment tool, they are not the Bible. Okay, they are not the Bible. So what I'm, I'm telling, what I'm teaching, what I'm sharing with you is just a tool to give you more self-awareness and say, oh, that's me. That's why I do this. This is how I can get along better with my spouse. This is why my friend reacts the way they do to me. Because they are this and I am that. And here's how I can adjust and change and help in that relationship. So that's all I'm saying. 
The Enneagram is a personality typing system that teaches that there are nine basic personality types, and there's a mix. And I preached the whole first service, and one of our worship team knows what her Enneagram is. And she came up to me afterward, and she said, I am this, and you said that. And, and, and I just laughed because she was acting on her type, which is also my type, and I'll get into that in a minute. But each of the nine Enneagram personality types possess an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type acts, thinks, feels on a consistent basis. For me, that gave me insight. My friend gave me insight to me that I never had, that helped me. The Enneagram's claim is that what you do is not as important as why you do it. It goes to the motivation. So let me ask you this. How many of you find yourself caught up in a web of repetitions where you have made repeated, or where you've repeatedly said and done and acted in ways that were not in your best interest? Anybody? All of us, haven't we? So let me go through the types. This is kind of a picture of the Enneagram that if you get on the internet, you'll find this. You can take free tests. Like I said, if you want to find more out about yourself to kind of understand yourself a little bit better, to have a little bit more self-awareness, I'd encourage you. If you've already done that, you already know your type, and you probably identify and, and you introduce yourself as that type person. In my, uh, I was at the National Preaching Summit this week, and one of my uh, guys that I really like, that I listen to, that I watch preach regularly, got up and said, hey, I'm type three, and blah, 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 and this is how the pandemic affected me. Well, I could immediately join him and also tell where, he, where he's from and what he's about. So let me go through this with you real quick. I'll give you some types. Type 1 is an improver or also known as a perfectionist. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you are someone like this. Ones can lead through integrity and reason but also be challenged by perfectionism and resentment. A couple of people, and I'm not endorsing these people, I'm just saying you probably know of these people, would be Nelson Mandela or Mary Poppins. And, you know, obviously Mary Poppins is fictional, but just a way to kind of see that. Type two is a helper. Twos can shine with generosity and intuiting people's needs, but also struggle with defending their own boundaries and people-pleasing, would be Mr. Rogers, Reese Witherspoon, okay? Type three. Threes can be inspiring examples of excellence and authenticity, but also blindly pursue success and status. That would be Tiger Woods and Reese Witherspoon. Did I? Wasn't Reese Witherspoon on the other one? Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. You're paying attention. Thanks. Just checking. All right. This is an achiever. The guy that I, I like to listen to that preaches, I, I just, I love him. He got up and he said, at, the, at that preaching seminar, he said, I'm a, a type three. And this is how the pandemic, how I experienced the pandemic. He's a controller. He's an achiever. He's a performer. And it devastated him. He had to close down two satellite campuses. He had to lay off staff that he loved. He, it was out of control. He had to go seek counseling, have some therapy, get a coach and work through it. And he is still reeling. That's how 
being self-aware has helped him work through this situation. Still working through it. Type four is an individualist. Fours can open people's eyes to the beauty of the world. These are artists, primarily, and shine with authenticity, but also be held back by moodiness and self-absorption. Bob Dylan, Kate Winslet. These are the artists. Type five is the investigator. Fives can demonstrate visionary intellect and inventiveness or become increasingly socially withdrawn and secretive. The types of people are like Bill Gates or uh, Agatha Christie. Type six is the loyalist. Sixes can exemplify courage and commitment, but also struggle with anxiety and rebelliousness. Diana, Prince of Wales, Tom Hanks, be loyalist sixes. Number seven. Sevens begin can become uplifting visionaries and agents for positive change or struggle with impulsiveness and impatience. That would be Robin Williams and Goldie Hawn. I want to tell you a little bit more about sevens because I did not identify myself and that was pointed out to me in first service because I wanted to leave you guessing or leave them guessing, but I won't with you. I am either a seven and eight or an eight and a seven. The reason why I, I figured out, I, I tested in youth ministry as a seven. I'm a, I, loved, I love to play. I have played almost all my life until I became a senior pastor. And then that all changed. I don't play anymore. I work for a living now. But as a youth pastor, I had a ball. I couldn't figure out why, why isn't everybody joining me and having fun? Well, not everybody's a seven. That's why. That's how, how I was. Now I'm more eight than I am seven. So you can be a blend of all these things. Let me tell you about an eight. And, and, and an eight, well, here's, I, I drew somebody out of the crowd in first service because I said, you know, type eights, a lot of times people don't like type eights. And, and, and I was saying that because I experienced that. But she also felt that when I said that. And then she came and talked to me about it, so I felt her saying that to me because she was challenging me at the same time. Eights can be powerful, selfless leaders, but also control and intimidate others. It would be Serena Williams and Winston Churchill. A lot of times we'll force our personality into another personality to do what we need to do to serve. And that's just another matter of self-awareness. And type nine, it's a peacemaker. Nines can bring people together and heal conflicts or to be held back by passivity and stubbornness. Would be one of the great peacemakers was Ronald Reagan. Another, you may or may not know, depending on your age, Sophia Loren. So in, in describing all these things, I hope that it inspires you to be curious enough to get on the internet, download, a, download and take a free assessment, and find out a little bit more about yourself because... I want you to grow in Christ. That's our whole purpose. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would command our, commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We renounce evil. We want to be good. We want Christ to transform us. But then he goes on in 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. The Apostle Paul is just saying, this is who we are. And we love you the way you are. But we want to encourage you to be more like Christ. To be more self-aware of how you interact with people so the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached. That we don't be offensive because of our personalities, but that we preach Christ and Him alone that others might know to be saved and to be transformed by Christ. My challenge to you is to be a follower of Jesus that we need to understand our motivations, why we do what we do, and figure out how we can be our most healthy selves that we might minister to others, that the body of Christ might grow, that people might be reached for the gospel. He calls us to that because people need Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand with me as I pray today? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful for this time. And Father, we just pray that we would be more of you and less of ourselves. Father, we pray that we would be more aware in our relationship with others and to be less oblivious. Father, this this time through this pandemic, as we're coming out of it, we've uh, gotten used to some things that aren't healthy for us, that we need to... Be more present, more kind, more selfless, more aware that others might know Jesus. And Father, I pray that uh, we become more faithful and more dependent on you through this experience, that we might not stay the same, but we might cooperate with your spirit using what we have to serve you humble ways. And Father, we just pray for those that are far from Jesus, that they might know Him in a saving way. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.